Did you hear? Professionalism is dead. Ugh, there are no more rules and everything goes. Sounds great or not so much. This is what we're talking about today. The Speakeasy Podcast. Honest conversations about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity in business? We probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Hey, Karen, I think we found my new favorite whiskey cocktail. Ooh, tell me about it. It's called the Blood and Sand. It's made with scotch whiskey, which is really delicious. It's super, super citrusy. What else is in this thing? There's a little bit of sweet vermouth, orange juice, orange twist for garnish, and a little splash of some cherry deliciousness. Oh, my goodness. I love this thing. And it's made with monkey shoulder, which has this really great bottle with these little monkeys in bronze on there. I I enjoy that a little bit. It's so well-balanced, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, um... I don't know if we're putting our foot in it or what, but I I am feeling like professionalism is dead. Like the world has gone casual and we don't know what to do? Yeah, and I am maybe one of the more casual people that I know, especially as it it goes in the office. But I feel like, is it our age talking? What is it? I don't want to talk about age. I just turned 45, which means I'm halfway to 90. So let's say it's not age. How's that sound? This is not a geriatric conversation, Jen. (laughs) I am not one to blame the millennials. I absolutely love millennials, but, you know, it seems very trendy to blame a millennial that professionalism is dead, but I feel like this has been going on for a while. Yeah, it's been kind of a long, slow downhill descent, I would say. Uh, Do you have any clients that text you instead of email you, like, and then their communication gets lost somehow? We do have clients who text us, which can be a challenge, although the challenge that drives me crazy is people who want to do business over Facebook Messenger. That is not a place to do business. No, I and I think that there's so many platforms for communication. It's fraught with disaster. Something's going to get lost. I'm going to get texts from a dentist office and my husband and you know some of my friends, and then that professional text that actually has an actionable item in it is going to get buried. And Messenger is just way... It's way off the cuff. It's way off the cuff. It's not that I have to do business via email, but there's just a little bit more formality with email. But even there's not. It seems like I've been getting a lot of email lately that's just not professional. Yeah, it's not just texting and it's not just email. It's the casual nature of almost everything we found from the subject line of an email that has too many exclamation points in it or absolutely no pertinent data in it. So it looks like spam or cover letters. Goodness, those have turned into almost an antiquated topic. I feel like cover letters have become an antiquated art form. Maybe. So instead of actually writing a cover letter and writing, you know, a resume and sending them both as attachments with something that's a little bit more friendly or approachable, it's just three sentences like, hey, here's a resume, check me out. Yeah. Well, and I think part of this conversation started because Render and Redhead both got an identical cover letter. You want to tell us about that one? Yes, you're right. We both got identical cover letters from somebody who was a job seeker. And it struck me that it was so bad. And the compliments that it was filled with were so saccharine filled or false that I screenshotted it and texted it to you. And it just turns out that we got the exact same one down to the wire. They were impressed by the same things and they really, whatever we had blew them away, which is great because whatever Karen had blew him away. And it was laughable from both ends because it wasn't good to begin with. And to realize it was just copy pasted was even richer. And what does that say about that person? I think that's the layer that really matters is that if the, if a young person doesn't understand that there's professionalism in the way that you communicate 
what's on your mind and that if what's on your mind can be duplicated as a copy and paste, then what does that say about what that person might do in your professional setting if you hired him or her? Right. And the thing is, theoretically, we all have the same skills. We all have the same training. Someone who has learned to be a producer has the same basic skills as the person who graduated next to them. So the thing that sets you apart is how you can present yourself, the intelligent conversation you can have. We would, and I think we've mentioned it before, we assume people have a great skill set when they're coming out of school or coming out of their previous career. What sets you apart is that presentation layer and how professional you can be and the professionalism you can give to your organization. And we're just sometimes not seeing it. But it's not just with young people, right? I mean, we're all a little guilty of it. You know, you've got a project that goes on for some time and your email threads, it's convenient to have an email thread that has all of the things in it because you don't have to find 54 emails to find the information or go back and and remember what somebody had said. But if that email thread has 74 back and forth, then you still are looking at 54 emails to find the information (laughs) that you are looking for. And so I try really hard to have the subject line very specific for what it is, allow the thread to continue until we've kind of moved past that conversation and then start a new one. For example, in my industry, I try to start a new thread when I'm looking for a new set of information. We've passed this approval. Now we're on to the next steps. So I don't know. What do you do? We use job codes particularly. And, you know, our web team, I really would give props to for this. They urge us to always use a job code when we're talking in an email, even an external email to a client, so that we can categorize them and sort them appropriately. So we're really clear and organized there. But I guess that, that brings me to the question what What is professionalism? What does that look like? Is that putting on a policy suit or is that having a logical email chain? Or is it all of those things? You know, on the subject of communication, I do think that in a different setting, you know, in a very, very large corporate setting, the expectation is that you're a good communicator regardless of what professional setting that you're in, especially that large corporation, or you just don't show up on time. You know, you're going to you're gonna get fired at some point if you can't express your thoughts, if you can't be effective, and if you don't show up, if you, can't, if you don't have integrity. And so I think that as small business owners, clients could fire us for the same, right? And so your, your communication and your timeliness and keeping your promises, your integrity. As a small business, it's sort of a mark of legitimacy to be able to show that you're professional, to have the right organizations in place and ask the right questions and understand what timelines should look like. People who can't get that done very clearly look unprofessional. So in order to be taken seriously as a small business, you really have to be on point, don't you think? I do. And I almost think that entrepreneurs have the opportunity to set the bar for professionalism because differently than people who are not entrepreneurs or employed in small business, because our livelihood depends on the quality of the way we manage those things. And it's our personal brands. For example, for you and I, it's our personal brands, whether we're known for closing communication circles, communicating with integrity, follow, you know, all of the follow through and things like that. But I I don't feel like all entrepreneurs do that. 
No, I don't think they are at all. I think there's quite a few people who get into business because they love their craft. They love to make a video. They love to design a website. They love to fill in the blank. And they don't do it because they love the business end, and so they ignore the business end or think, people are going to hire me for my skill. They don't mind if I'm casual about the business part, and I don't think that helps anybody. I mean, it's definitely not the way to run a business and grow your income and grow your reputation. So I think that there's a number of people who just get into it for the love of it, and they don't take it seriously as a business. But do you think that those people would listen and say, oh, but Jen's being stuffy. I'm not stuffy. That's just being stuffy. No, that's being prepared. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Because there is, I feel like all of the, you know, we've had we've had a whole episode on words matter. And I do think there, you can be casual and fun, as you said, it, but it shouldn't be sloppy. And you can be really great at your craft and that attracts people to you. But if you don't have a business process or anybody who's accountable for at the end of the day that the thing, that the promise is delivered, then that's not stuffiness. That's just lack of accountability. Yeah. That's just being sloppy and being too casual with it. I think that, in fact, being really rigid with your processes and your systems helps you to be more creative and more fun, right? We've talked about that before. Absolutely. If, you aren't, if you've got a process in place and you know when things are happening in a certain order and the client is comfortable and understands what billing might look like or what communication expectations they can have of you, then the stress level goes down and the creativity and fun can flourish in that environment. But with a lack of those pieces of professional structure, I think it adds an ambiguity that nobody really enjoys. Yeah, I I just came back from um, filming out of state, and I know that with a client that's relatively new, and I know that she really appreciated a shoot schedule. And even though we needed to have a modicum of flexibility in our shoot days because there were a lot of unknowns on her end, I gave her a sample shoot schedule, and it brought her so much more ease about going into the day that we actually were able to have fun. She was never worried about what happened next. And her follow-up email actually acknowledged that. And so I was I was really grateful. And I have been on the receiving end of wondering what happens next, and I don't like it either. I mean, we look at this from the lens of being an entrepreneur who provides a service, both Karen and I. We also use services, and we've been the recipients of sloppy business practices, and I know it makes me feel uncomfortable. I can absolutely understand how your client felt more confident in the process by just knowing what was going to happen next. And I think, too, as business owners, we understand that whatever a client is spending, that investment is the investment that they're able to justify for whatever reason. So it doesn't matter how many zeros are after the main number. It's a lot of money to them. And so treating um, an investment with three zeros at the end is no different than treating an investment, being professional with people who are you know, asking you to deliver services with, you know, six zeros at the end. So it really, it shouldn't matter. It's a level of treating people with integrity and making sure that they're very comfortable with the process. That's a really good point. We hadn't talked about this earlier in terms of money, but when you are an entrepreneur or a business owner or a service provider, you are being trusted with other people's investments and other people's trust. How could you take someone's money, someone's commitment to you, and be sloppy with it or casual with it and not treat that with care just as a baseline business practice? That's a really interesting observation. I know that as a consumer at home, if I invest something in my house or do an improvement to my house, I'm not worried as much about getting the cheapest. I want to deal with 
the person who I think will treat me with integrity and keep their promise. And um, I've actually had that happen. We did a project for a healthcare system once, and I was asking the clinician who was in charge of the project about different kinds of surgeons. And she said, if I needed surgery, I would rather have an above average physician who was a great person than the best surgeon who was an ass. Interesting. And she said, because when somebody's got your life in your hands, you want the good person because they don't have ego in the way of making decisions for your life. That's professionalism, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, thank God I don't hold somebody's heart in my hands, right. literally. Right. I'm but, not a surgeon. Right. But you do hold their investment and their livelihood in your hands in a certain way. And it's worth it to kind of amp up your professionalism and your care of your clients and your treatment of your coworkers to the level of respect that you would want to receive. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. How do we resurrect professionalism? How are we going to bring it back? I think it's paying attention to the communication and the process and the details. Checks and balances are super important. Someday something will go wrong, right? Yeah. And, the, it, like neither one of our businesses are perfect. Right. But it's the processes that matter. Sure. Something goes wrong. Something was off budget. There was a miscommunication. The client thought X. You thought Y. Having a process, having things written down, having expectations on the table allows you to unclutter and move forward from a mistake. And so I think having those processes in place helps you to bring back that professionalism. I agree with you. Don't you think that if you've already conducted yourself with a, a level of professionalism, that when the thing gets uncomfortable or when something does go wrong, which it can, that then they trust that when you have a conversation to correct whatever that issue is, that they understand that you're putting it back on track. They're not wondering when that other shoe is going to fall. Don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, everyone, everyone makes mistakes. And it's not in the mistake making, it's in the mistake correcting that you see if somebody's professional and paying attention to the details. And so oftentimes, I feel a stronger affinity with someone who has recovered well from a mistake or an accident or a miscommunication because I know that their their heart is in it and they are a good person and they're trying, you know, like that surgeon. Well, and kind of conversely, people who hide from awkward conversations or challenging conversations, it makes you kind of wonder, well, I mean, that can happen when you're a green professional, mm -hmm. but once you're a seasoned professional, if you hide from challenging conversations, what does that say about you? Well, it's like you said, it says that you're green and you don't know how to do it yet, or it says that you don't feel confident in your response or your ask or your own services or that you're trying to be nefarious, right? You're trying to be sketchy. Yeah, I think that, that the, any of those three those are, are very, very possible. Avoiding uncomfortable conversations is straight up unprofessional. The more awkward the conversation feels, the sooner you should have it. It takes some time to learn that. It's okay if you're not having them because you're green, but you should practice that and get better at it. I'm better at it now than I used to be. How about you? Absolutely. I, you know, whether that's a conversation about, you know, a client makes an ask and you're afraid to say no to them, but instead of just doing it and having that awkwardness in the relationship, because for whatever reason, it's a conversation about scope, scope creep, or even having a conversation that, hey, client, I think that your idea is great, but I'm not sure it has its place in this particular project, and then being able to articulate why. That's true. Or it's a conversation about value. And if you can't articulate why what you're offering is of high value and should be treated accordingly, then maybe you need to reconsider. So I think that those conversations both help you and your client have an honest pipeline 
and they help you to articulate that you are what you're giving your client is professional in nature, high in value, useful for their organization. So the the more open and honest you are about the difficult stuff, I think the more grown up you feel. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, transparent communication is something that's very high on my list of of personal core value, but it's also one of Render's core values. And we would be such hypocrites if we were afraid of those kinds of conversations. And I have to tell you, I've I've said no to clients when they have come with ideas that they want to do that don't fit their goals. Um, I've walked away from business. I've shot myself in the foot with being honest. I Well, I think that's important, keeping your promises and keeping your integrity, right? That's what you're talking about. Absolutely. And it's amazing how many people can be casual about not keeping promises. Because even if I'm unable to keep a promise, I'm sorry, I'm not going to meet your deadline by five o'clock on Friday. Does before nine o'clock on Monday work for you? You know, it's just communicating. Right. And wouldn't you rather get that communication beforehand than after? Oh, my gosh. I mean, the people who will send you a note, give you a phone call saying, just a heads up, that deadline that's happening tomorrow, we are running behind. We'd like to hit it on Monday is different than Friday coming and you hear crickets chirping. And then you have to reach out and say, so that's stuff I was supposed to have. Right. Again, not knowing what's coming next. Not knowing what's coming next. I'll tell you, though, and this one's a little bit on the rant side, but I'm shocked by the number of small businesses that don't pay their bills, and I find that to be a huge lack of integrity. I mean, we're talking tiny things, like a few hundred dollars that someone just doesn't pay, and I can't – I find that to be so incredibly unprofessional. It's unprofessional, but it's also – I mean, I'm not sure if you're talking about a partner or if you've just heard another small business not paying their bills kind of – rumored in the... Oh, we've definitely not gotten paid by small businesses, which I find so interesting. No, I think you're right. And it goes back to the same thing about keeping promises. It's, hey, Jen, I owe you some money. And my cash flow is such that I'd like another week. Does that work for you? But that's embarrassing for people to say, because then what does that mean about your cash flow? So you hide from the awkward conversation. That's true. Maybe that's another podcast about... Business doesn't have to be embarrassing, and those difficult conversations don't have to be. You and I have had, you know, a number of episodes to flex our muscle or build our muscle in just being really honest about our strengths and our weaknesses. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody has had that opportunity to air their grievances. That's maybe true. You know, one of the things that I love the most, though, is, um, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but the way that our listeners are engaging with us, whether that's online, on on our social media platforms, but also just showing up and, um, like, saying things that surprise us. That's true. I ran into a listener the other day at a social engagement, and he said he wanted to round back on our Letting Go podcast from a few months back. He said he was letting go of ignoring red flags, and I thought that was so smart. He said, you know, I can see a red flag coming, and I used to think, maybe it'll get better, maybe it'll be easier. Um, But now I know that's not true. And so the minute I see one, I cut bait. And I thought that is really brave. And that is really smart. And also super cool and generous that he shared that with you. That was. So I would say that that advice is something that we could all probably put to use. You know, what's funny is red flags can sometimes be like the monkey on your back. Like this drink. Which is just the monkey on your shoulder. (laughs) The monkey on your shoulder. (laughs) It's actually called blood and sand, and it's really, really tasty. It's one of the tastiest to date, and it's really, really beautiful. Um, I'm glad that we don't actually have a picture of it because, wow. Yeah, no kidding. You could make a picture of this, though, for your friends. And just don't skimp on the little garnish of the cherry and the orange on top because that orange peel really adds a bit. It is so yummy. 
Or even if you had to zest it, if you if you couldn't do a twist. That's true. Hey, Karen, if people want to see a picture of Blood and Sand, where might they find it? Definitely follow us on all of our social platforms at Easy Underground or... Or you can check our website, thespeakeasypodcast.com, and visit Apple Podcasts and sign up, and you can hear all of our brilliant thoughts on the regular if you subscribe. Join us next time because we're uncovering the deep secret of life balance. Spoiler alert, it's a fucking lie. You're welcome.